Welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast, where each week we help you identify the bullshit that's holding you back and discover the courage to take action to create a life you love and enjoy. Ready? Here we Let's are. Let's do it. We're here. We're back. We, we are, are back. Back with more Enneagram. I love it. If you didn't listen to the previous episode, you need to go back and re-listen to where we talk about the Enneagram one through four, and this will make much more sense. Yeah. And it also will give you why the Enneagram is awesome, why we like it so much, and kind of a little background on the Enneagram. Yeah. But we have a lot of numbers to get through. We have five numbers to get through. So I'm not going to do a rehash of last week. I just want you to go back and listen and um, get caught up. Yeah. So we're going to jump right in this week with number five. That's where we left off last time. We did one through four. And one through four, just a little recap. We've got the one who is the perfectionist. Two is the helper. Three is the competitive achiever. And our fours are individualists. The five. So we're getting into a new triad here with five, six, and seven. This triad is the head triad or the thinking center of the Enneagram. These are the more analytical numbers and they also are motivated motivated <laughs> by the underlying emotion of fear. And so each of them kind of deals with fear in their own way. And the five is, you know, they want to control their fear by knowing all the things. So the five is the investigator. It's the best kind of gator. <laughs> <laughs> I actually sent my friend a meme that we do like puns all the time. And I was like, because I was like, oh, I didn't realize the word gator was an investigator. And then my brain went to funny places and I sent her an alligator and I told her that and she thought it was funny. That's the weird Six wing five in me. But anyway, so the investigator <laughs> is observant, innovative, curious, and independent. And their quote is, we observe, think, and then we think some more. You may need to ask us what we're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the five, again, we're in the thinking, the analytical yeah, headspace. The fear is the underlying emotion. Their basic desire for a five is to feel helpful and competent. This is expressed by passionately pursuing knowledge and working to gain new skills and abilities. So the fives are the knowledge seekers. They're the ones who could go down internet rabbit holes for an eternity and never stop. It's my husband. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Their basic fear is being useless or incompetent. So they try to seek to fully understand the world in order to have more of an advantage. So the more they know, the more confident they feel and the less fear they have. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. They're gifts. So they're very perceptive. They offer objective, in-depth, insightful observations to situations and information. So they, again, they can offer very good perceptions. They're very curious. They love gathering, exploring, and connecting or and collecting new information. That can be kind of a hobby for them is collecting information. They would be a great person on Jeopardy because they would know all the dumb shit that nobody else knows, but they think is amazingly exciting <laughs> to know. And they're going to tell you about it. <laughs> they can be unsentimental. So they can easily put their emotions aside when they need to, and they don't have to get all weird and blubbery over things that are unnecessary. They're very self-sufficient. They work to protect their autonomy and their privacy, and they ask very little of others. 
They're inventive. So their ideas and depth of knowledge allow them to be very visionary. Maybe this is Kyle. It is. (laughs) So they can make great, you know, leaders in the sense that they can have a great vision. He can think of an idea and like a business idea or just an invention like on the whim. He's like, have you ever thought about doing this? I'm like, no, but how did you think of that? Like, where does this come from? All the time. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. So five, so they're blind spots. So they can have, (laughs) they can have difficulty relating. So to the emotions of others, basically, (laughs) they can be perceived as a little condescending because they know so much that these are two blind spots being perceived as condescending and perceived as a know-it-all because they know so much. It can come across as condescending, even though that's not how they mean it. And it can also be perceived as a know-it-all. Like this guy just knows everything, I guess. Yeah. Just because they love sharing knowledge. So they're not trying to be know-it-alls, but they love to share what they do know. And so for some people that might rub them the wrong way in that sense. They can disconnect from feelings very easily. So they can easily detach and disconnect from feelings in general, but especially their own feelings. And they can also be have a tendency to be isolated. They're very self-sufficient. They don't like to ask for help. And they have usually rich inner worlds with all the knowledge that they acquire. And so they can easily just be loners. I am a f- six-wing five. That really, I'm like, yeah, being alone sounds great. <laughs> So our analytical, emotionally detached private fives are motivated by a need to gain knowledge, conserve energy, and avoid relying upon others. So do's for fives. So giving fives a project, tell them when it's due, and let them get it done however and whenever they choose or wherever. Fives need predictability. Let them know what demands will be placed on them every day so that they can accurately prioritize their energies. Don't ask a five to spontaneously give a presentation or report. They need time to prepare. That is definitely like my wing five right there. Mm-hmm. When we were at the story brand retreat and we have to do like these exercises where we come up with words and feelings and emotions and writings about our businesses. I'm like, ah, oh, there's too much pressure. <laughs> I need time. <laughs> I need time to think about this. Fives value privacy and uninterrupted work time. So making them work in an open space would be kind of detrimental for them and certainly not high traffic zones. Yeah. I, I know when I was working in corporate, I had a really hard time being in a cubicle because I do like quiet, uninterrupted work time and space that I can just kind of shut everything off so I can concentrate and use my brain powers. Mm-hmm. So that is the five. So you think Kyle might be a five? I think he is. He's so analytical and he's so... He's thoughtful about his knowledge mm-hmm. and I don't think he's condescending, but he can definitely compartmentalize things appropriately, but he's all about like having information and understanding how everything works. Like he's the one that wants to like rip the thing open and like see you take it apart and just to put it back together. Yeah. Kind of thing. That's cool. So I think it's great. I know I love me a good internet rabbit hole or like information yeah, I'll get on him and like, what are you on your phone? Like, he's like, I'm researching this thing, and we'll be just talking about. It. I'm like, oh, okay, tell me, yeah, tell yeah. me all about it. Yeah, he's going down a rabbit hole, but he's like in all the inner workings, whether it's yeah, just something that he's working on in the garage, something for the house, a trip, 
you know, he wants it all planned and nice and just understand all of what's going to happen. So he's very thoughtful. And I thought he could be, I thought I had a hunch he might be a six, but maybe he's a five wing six. six. Yep. So we're going to go. I got to get him to take the test. Yes, you do. I'm really curious. I'm so curious to know what his number is. We know Jake's an eight. We know you're a three. I'm a six. So the six is the loyal skeptic. And we are still within the head center, the thinking triad and the fear underlying emotion. So sixes are engaging, responsible, hardworking, and anxious. And their quote is, we are reliable and consistent. You should always have one of us on your team. And um, Ian Morgan Cron tells a story about I think it's a pack of monkeys or apes or something. And they took all of the anxious monkeys out of the group. And then they checked on the monkeys a year later and all the monkeys were dead. And so the moral of the story is the reason you need one of us is because we keep you alive. (laughs) (laughs) So the six is the loyal skeptic. Their basic desire and motivation is for security, predictable and safe environments. They also really crave to be more sure of themselves since they don't really trust their inner gut or they have not learned that it's hard for them to be sure of themselves. Their basic fear is losing their stability or emotional support. Sixes exhibit the most fear out of all the types largely experienced as anxiety. So if you say to a six, you know, you're really fearful. It's like, no, I just have like constant anxiety over everything and worry about everything. And so it's funny because as a six, this is all so very true. But I think Jake and I were talking about something, but I was like, well, I just worry. He's like, you just worry. You just worry. You always just worry about everything. And I was like, I really do. I didn't even realize that I say that. I say it. Us sixes are the what ifs of the Enneagram. So if you have a what ifer, they're probably a six. And they ask a lot of questions. So the gifts of the six, they're very devoted. They're committed to what they value. They express duty and care and service of all people, responsibilities, and causes. This devotion adds to the feeling of security for a six. And so being very loyal is part of what creates a six's safety net, right? That's the survival instinct at its core. It's the reason you get somebody a cup of coffee in the story brand. Remember, I'm like, you know, you get somebody a cup of coffee, they think you're really nice. And it's like, no, I'm getting you a cup of coffee so that you'll fight with me if barbarians come over the hill. It's survival, guys. Yes. <laughs> Loyalty. Hello. Sixes can be very courageous. They often take a stand on the behalf of the greater good. So they're very principled. Um, they fight for the underdog big time. They're very prepared. They're alert and very risk aware, they pay attention to and act to minimize risks and threats in their environment. Some sixes are very hypervigilant. They'll be the people who know where all the emergency exits are in the room. I remember my old boss, she would always tell me that she would get somewhere and she would automatically see like things that could possibly go wrong. Or if an active shooter came in here, I know that this is where I'm going to duck under. This is where we need to go or we need to get out that door. That's a six. That's a six brain at work. I do that as well. Yeah. 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 And I am not hypervigilant at all about my surroundings. I'm very situationally unaware. I I would be, I have to share them with her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have to tell her these things. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's because I'm in my five wing. Most of the time I'm in my own brain a lot. And so I have a hard time 
I just don't care. I'm conserving calories by not caring on what's going on around me <laughs> and my immediate surroundings. But I also grew up in a very small town where I just felt safe all the time in that sense. So it's it's not something that I'm used to being. And we never locked our doors. It's fascinating how your brain does work because you're seeking threats within your own environment and like your business or, you know, Mm -hmm. you're very protective over that, but in your physical environment, it's not that way. Yeah. And for me, I think that's an anomaly for sixes. I think a lot of sixes do have, like I have a friend, she's a seven and she's definitely a seven wing eight, but there are certain things where her six will show like she's very complete Fort Knox with her house when her husband's out of town, for example. And I'm not. Like Jake's like, lock the doors. I'm like, okay. I am too. I am terrified. I I have all the pins. I have everything locked. Like no one can get in. He's like, why do you shut it down like a fortress when I'm not home? Because I'm like, because something could happen. happen. Exactly. (laughs) It's funny. And C3 goes to six. Yeah. Three goes to six in growth. Yeah. But I think like definitely – that's probably part of the sixth part of the relationship. That's where we complement each other yeah. in that sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the one thing I am prepared with as a six is I do have a lot of things like in my bag. Like I have like a little medicine cabinet. I have prepared for all of the things that could possibly we could need. Floss, oh, yeah. hand sanitizer, all the things. You need a heating pad for just your shoulders. Oh, She's I have got that it. for sure. I've got <laughs> balls that you can massage your shoulders out with. I've got everything. They're very trustworthy. So once they make a decision or a commitment, they stick to it. They follow through and they're very team oriented. They love and enjoy cooperation and collaboration with others. So some of their blind spots, they can get hyper-focused on what can go wrong. Their cautious approach may seem to others like stubbornness or pessimism. So I know I've been called a pessimist I used to, I'm like, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. But then I realized, no, it's just I'm being prepared and I'm risk averse. So it sounds like pessimism. I think you're more cautious, though. I would never call you a pessimist. No, I've had to work on it for sure. I used to, I think back before the days before you knew me, mm-hmm. I would be, have been considered total pessimist big time, especially like in my youth. They're high anxiety. So they can have a difficult time controlling that anxiety and that fear and worry. Their worst case scenario planners, they have a tendency to jump to conclusion or anticipate worst case scenarios. I do this with my health. I cannot get on WebMD because it means that I'm basically dying. WebMD <laughs> <laughs> like, has like some of the worst diagnoses. It really does. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's funny because the gal who does our, our microblading, she's similar She's like, oh my God, I couldn't look it up because it basically told me I'm dying. And I'm like, I can't do that either. Like I just have a, I don't know. I had something like I had a swollen lymph node in my neck once and I was like, great, great. This is how I'm going. I have cancer. I'm dying. And Jake's like, you are a crazy person. (laughs) It's just like, I know I'm a crazy person. That's like me jumping to the worst case scenario, the jump to conclusions person. I get a gold medal in that for sure. So they're self-doubting and insecure. They have a hard time trusting their gut and themselves, and they can end up with analysis paralysis. So they have a tendency to overanalyze and over-preparing, and they can end up not taking action because they just don't know what to do in, in the situation. So the do's and don'ts for 
sixes. So we're committed, practical, and loyal. Sixes are worst case scenario thinkers who are motivated by fear and the need for security. So do, do listen patiently when sixes ask questions about new initiatives and address their concerns. Be transparent and treat people fairly and deliver on what you promise. Don't ignore them when they point out the flaws in your plan. Every leader needs a devil's advocate on his or her team. Again, us sixes are the ones who are keeping you alive. You're welcome. Yes. Don't let sixes slip so far into analysis paralysis that they can't make a decision. I feel like I don't, I can get into analysis paralysis with my business stuff sometimes because I feel like there's so much that I want to do that I don't know where to start. And I just, bleh. I wanted to acknowledge that earlier. I think you're really good at analyzing, but it doesn't paralyze you when you know that even if it's scary, but you know that it's good for you and it's where you need to go. Yeah. You're very thoughtful in the thinking process. And it's not that you're going to put it off, but you just have to cover like all areas. Like you're really, you're really good about taking risk when you know you need to. And yeah. like, but what, I, if what I think I do then in that sense is I try to mitigate risk in other places so that I can feel safe to take the risk that I need to take. Right. For example, but that's survival. It is survival. But some people, like a lot of threes or eights, might just be like, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. We'll figure that out later. That to me, I'm like, figure it out later. I don't think so, Tim. We're not <laughs> figuring it out later. <laughs> and that's where I'm like, it's fine. Yeah, I'm absolutely not figuring it. Like, Jake is definitely like, just jump. I'm like, no, I can't just jump. <laughs> like, do you know what that means? Like, what's down there? Is it grass? Is it rock? Is it fluffy cotton balls? I don't know. I need to know things. So, but I think too, one of the things I will say is six can be considered a wet blanket on the Enneagram because we do ask a lot of questions. We do are the what ifs. We are the devil's advocates. We are being like, oh, hold on, slow your roll. Let's think this through before we all start implementing things. And really, truly, in order to get a six and you, I would say you and everyone else in my immediate circle are very good about this, but a lot of times we forget our past successes. And one of the things to get us to feel more secure and be able to move forward is to remember, hey, you were successful in this endeavor, this endeavor, this endeavor. You didn't think it was going to work out this time, but it did. And this, this, and this. And to be reminded of that is very helpful as a six. Six is supposedly the most prominent number in our human society in the world, actually. Yeah. And so there's probably a lot of us out there. And that makes sense too, because news cycles, everything are basically built around our six mentality of always having to prepare for worst case scenario and being afraid of everything, right? That's why the monkeys survived with the anxious ones. <laughs> yes, because they kept them alive. So I think too, one of the things is they can be the most courageous and hardworking people out there. It's really weird to be a six and be a business owner because they just kind of feel like an oxymoron where you have all this anxiety and worry, but you also have this thing that's uncertain in its own right, right? But it's kind of like one of the things that I think as a six has forced me to grow into my strengths. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you guys that when I learned my number, I thought for the longest time that I was just, there was just something wrong with me, that I had all this anxiety and I was always worried about things. And knowing now what I know about my number, and I can now recognize almost immediately when I'm going into the unhealthy aspects of my number, 
it helped me feel number one, more normal, more validated, knowing that there's people out there that are just like me and that I'm, there isn't something wrong with me. It's just who I am and how I am. It doesn't mean that I accept my faults and just say, oh, well, that's just who I am. It means I'm like, oh, that's who I am. I can do better from here. Yeah. And so hopefully as I share my experience with learning my number and like Lindsay sharing her experience learning hers, you can see that those faults and those icky parts of ourselves help us kind of come across as or come through more validated and more sure of ourselves as we grow into our number. Yeah. Oh, it's been such a, it's been one of the most freeing things. And I almost want to say like knowing my number and the ins and outs of my strengths, weaknesses, and average points have brought me the most growth over the last couple of years, the last year for sure. Yeah. So anyway, that's the six. So good. The seven. So we're going to go into the seven again. We're still in the thinking triad, fear, underlying emotion. Our sevens are our enthusiasts. They are spontaneous, versatile, acquisitive, and adventurous. Mm -hmm. So we have more ideas and energy than all of you, and we don't have an off button. That's their quote. Yeah, that's their (laughs) quote. So sevens are, they're motivated by a basic desire to be satisfied and content and to have their needs fulfilled. So they want to maintain their freedom and happiness. They want to avoid missing out on worthwhile experiences. They want to always be happy. Their basic fear is that they might miss out or be deprived of excitement. They also fear being in pain and they defend themselves by justifying or rationalizing away negative feelings and to avoid and discharge pain. I have a friend that's a seven and she's amazing and she is very good about not feeling pain. (laughs) She's like, no, no, no. This feels yucky. Let's watch Friends. (laughs) So the gifts of the seven, they're very optimistic. Um, They focus on what brings joy, pleasure, and happiness. They're very flexible. They like keeping their options open and they're very adaptable in the face of challenges. They're very future-oriented. They enthusiastically focus on what's next and they can be very visionary and create an exciting future. So they make great leaders because they can be very, they can have big ideas, be very positive and very encouraging to others in order to fulfill the future that they've kind of created in their brain and their imagination. They're very practical at the same time. They can be practical and productive. And when they're at their best, they focus to make things happen. And I know that is so true about most sevens that I know. They're very adventurous also. They're playful. They love going on or having spontaneity and fun, versatile things in their life. They savor their freedom. They love having all of the options. Mm -hmm. And that's why I thought for sure you were an eight wing seven. (laughs) And they love variety. Yeah. And I, and I do too. And I, I resonate with the seven a lot in that aspect. Yeah. I definitely know some sevens and yeah, I think it's just a great, great quality. Mm -hmm. They are. So some of their blind spots is they can have difficulty communicating. They like to keep their options open and they have a hard time kind of communicating that part of them. That also can cause them to be a bit flaky because they have FOMO. They can cancel plans to do something better or they can just cancel plans in general because they don't want to be locked in because something might come their way that they want that's better and 
I just don't like to be locked in. Now that they've been <laughs> locked in and committed, they're like, no, 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 no. This just makes them it makes them feel very tied down. They can grow bored easily. Are you sure you're not a seven? <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I need to take the test again. <laughs> they can grow bored easily. So Jake is a an eight wing seven, by the way. So they have <laughs> they have a fear of being bored. They can jump from one thing to another before finishing. It's like the shiny object syndrome that sevens can get very easily. They can have a tendency to also be excessive. So if you think of addictive personalities, it's the seven can end up kind of trending toward addiction or excessiveness in all areas because they have that kind of underlying feeling of being unsatisfied in their lives. So they can overconsume. Instead. Yeah, man. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> so they also avoid feeling feelings. They want to avoid pain at all costs and they'll distract themselves to avoid feelings. So it's just, that's usually how I can tell a seven is when they're like, no, 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 we don't want to, this, this feels yucky. We need to go do something to distract ourselves so that we don't have to feel that pain, mm-hmm. you know, leading, working, talking to a seven. So again, they're fun, spontaneous, adventurous. They're motivated by a need to be happy, to plan stimulating experiences, and to avoid difficult feelings at all costs. So do give them a long leash, especially if they're talented. Give them multifaceted job descriptions and then encourage them to stay on track. Sevens are visionaries. Take advantage of their ability to synthesize information, spot unseen patterns, and connect the dots inside complex bodies of knowledge. Don't let optimistic sevens downplay or wallpaper over their problems and failures. And sevens are distractible. Obviously, they have shiny object syndrome. (laughs) So holding their feet to the fire until they complete a job. Like if you have sevens on your team, just making sure that you're checking in with them and and holding them accountable to milestones so that they can get the job done and not like, ooh, shiny over here. Ooh, squirrel, Mm -hmm. squirrel. That's sevens (laughs) for sure. Sevens are awesome. I have some of my closest friends are sevens and they just make, they make you feel good. They're also great people to put in front of the company as the face of companies, like the people who you want greeting people. They're great with interacting with customers. If there Sounds is like a customer service like, role. With change management, like rallying the people and being optimistic and being able to like keep that momentum going. They are. In the face of change. They are. Definitely. And this is why I think it's so important. I think all companies should somehow use the Enneagram to understand the strengths of people and put them in the positions where they will thrive. All right. So we are on to the eight. The eight is the challenger. And this also brings us back to full circle. We're back to the instinctive and anger triad. So the instinctive triad is also called the gut center. And it's because it's very gut. I don't know how to explain it otherwise, but it's very gut centered intuition based. So the eight is the challenger. Their underlying emotion is anger. They're very self-confident, assertive, powerful, and confrontational. Their quote is, we are who you want to take to a fight or close the deal. Everyone should have one of us in their life. Again, anger. So eights are the most aggressive on the Enneagram in terms of the fact that their underlying emotion is anger and they can actually 
outwardly express their anger quite readily. They use it to their advantage. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's always to the advantage of others. (laughs) (laughs) That's an average eight. Healthy eights know how to leverage their anger and keep it in check. Their basic desire and motivation is to protect themselves and remain in control of their own lives. They avoid vulnerability because they subconsciously believe that it'll make them appear weak and they do not want to appear weak ever. Their basic fear is that they might be controlled or hurt by others. So they tend to avoid situations that can make them feel helpless and they stand up for themselves in all circumstances. Again, they externalize their anger. So eights... Again, eights are the most aggressive and eight wing sevens, I guess, are the most energetic on the Enneagram out of any number or any wing combination. As you can tell, you have the challenger with the enthusiast or the adventure person. Mm -hmm. Like Jake is an eight wing seven. He is definitely like the spontaneity variety, gets bored easily, but he's also like... He's an eight. (laughs) (laughs) So the gifts of the eight, they're very assertive. They're confident and direct. They say what they need to say, and then they get on with things. They are very decisive. They're quick to respond, and they trust their gut. So again, when we go back to that gut triad, the instinctive, they trust their instincts, and they go forward with it. They can be very protective. They protect the people and things that they care most about. They're very independent. So they're self-sufficient, and they dislike being dependent on others. This goes into their whole need to not feel controlled. They want their independence, and it's like at the core of who they are. They're very influential. They can take charge and influence others and the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So they make really great leaders. Again, America, we kind of glamorize and glorify the eights and the threes because they're the people who get shit done for the most part. With very little direction, they kind of are the people who have very little need for others to get under their ass to light a fire. Yeah, they're they work well un- unsupervised. Exactly. 100%. So they're blind spots. So an eight, they can be perceived as intimidating very easily. So the most intense number on the Enneagram, obviously, that comes with you might be a little intimidating. <laughs> you might <laughs> might turn people off a little bit. They can be overly competitive. So this is another reason why threes and eights can be mistyped because they are very similar. It's just the underlying motivation that's a little bit different. So they can be overly competitive. They want to win and they want to win often. They have a really difficult time following the rules. They don't like relinquishing control of their decisions or their independence. So as someone who has an eight as a husband, I know for sure it's very hard. You have to go about giving them direction in a way that makes it seem like their idea because they don't want to be controlled ever in any circumstance whatsoever. (sighs) They want their independence. They can get agitated by a slow pace. So they can become impatient when things don't move as quickly as they want it to. And it's funny because, again, I gave this deck to him to print at work for me. And he's like, there's a lot of slides here you better go through it pretty quickly. And I was like, did you read your slide? (laughs) He's like, I actually read it out loud to everybody and they agreed. (laughs) I was like, okay, don't worry. I'll go through it fast, I guess. (laughs) So they also want to avoid, and I'm using quotes, weakness. So they do not ever want to appear vulnerable or weak and they will avoid it at all costs. The funny thing about the eight is even though they have this tough exterior and they're very intense, they have a very soft 
very soft side on the inside if you take the wall down or if you can get past the wall or if they let their guard down and they feel comfortable being vulnerable. They have a tendency to, and I know this to be true since I'm married to one, when you get that side, it's like gold because they care very deeply about everyone around them. They care very deeply about just causes, even though they might play it off that they don't. Mm -hmm. So... Commanding, intense, and confrontational, eights are motivated by a need to be strong and to assert control over the environment and others to avoid revealing weakness and vulnerability. So working with, leading, talking to, interacting with eights, do's. So they test authority. So setting limits, providing regular, straightforward feedback, and establishing clear boundaries with eights. This is probably a good one, too, for you parents out there who have eight children. (laughs) Eights as children, not eight children. That would be horrible. So do always tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, even when things are bad. They want transparency, and they want the truth. Eights respect strong leaders. So don't waffle or waver when you commit to a course of action with an eight. They cannot stand being led by people who are, and I'm using air quotes again, weak. Don't let eights take action too quickly without considering the consequences or consulting with others. This is where I'm very good for this eight husband of mine because you know what? Sometimes he just wants to do things and I'm like, hold on. (sighs) Let me bring you back down to earth for just a second (laughs) before I go too far down this path. And again, that's where the six gets the whole wet blanket, you know, reputation. But I always just say, I'm just trying to keep you alive. (laughs) You're going to walk right into a landmine. All right. So the last number on the Enneagram, and they actually sit at the top of the Enneagram diagram. So there are nine numbers that make up the circle. The nine is in the top center, and then there's four on either side of the nine. And there's a reason for that. It's because the nine is the peacemaker. I love that. It is. It's so I didn't realize it was that way because of that reason. It is that way because of that reason. The nine, they can see sides of all things. They're very good at being mediators. They do not like conflict. They're very receptive. They're very accepting. They're optimistic, and they're very adaptive. And they sit on top of the Enneagram and they can see it all. It's great. Nines are awesome. So we smile because we believe we can all get along. That's their quote. (laughs) So they, again, are still in that gut triad. Their underlying feeling is anger. And they basically deny their anger. They're like, anger, what anger? I'm not angry. That's how they internalize their underlying emotion. So they have a basic desire or motivation for harmony in their environment. They want inner stability and they want peace of mind. Their basic fear is of loss or separation and they attempt to prevent this by remaining peaceful and avoiding conflict. So they do not want to be disconnected or separated from the herd. And so they want to just make sure that everybody, we all just get along. We're all going to get along. Yeah. I love how this is a wing of the eight who is confrontational. Yeah, it is funny. Because when we thought you were an eight, I was like, I wonder if she, I wonder if her nine wing is a little bit stronger than her seven wing. Because nines, they're very agreeable. They're easy to get along with. Yeah. They're very understanding. They can see multiple perspectives. So as a coach, that's really important, right? Mm -hmm. They're very patient. They trust natural rhythms and processes. They are very supportive. They make others feel accepted and heard and validated, and they're really genuine. So what you see is what you get with a nine. 
the nines, you just feel really good when you're with a nine. What I think starts to get under people's skin with the nine is they are Switzerland almost all the time. They don't want to take a side. They don't want to get into the middle of a conflict. They're not going to be the ones that you find in the front of a political debate, which is interesting because Barack Obama is supposedly a nine. Interesting. Yes. And so I think there's actually quite a few politicians that are nines. Interesting. Mm -hmm. For me, that was a frustration and like determining if I was an eight or a three and kind of even just in my own head, we're talking about this like conflict. I'm like, I don't need someone to agree with me and I don't need to be competitive that I need to be right. Uh I just want someone to have some emotion with me. Like, and that's an feel something. Yeah. Feel something. I I just want you to be upset or just have some passion about, even if it's the opposite, like, just don't be like, yeah, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And I and I do that for a lot of things just because I that, that's me avoiding talking about it in most instances. I'm like, oh, I have opinions, but it's not worth saying it right now. Well, it's a but, survival instinct. Yeah. You're conserving calories by not getting into the things that you don't find worth fighting for, and that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, that would be – for nines, that would be frustrating. Oh, it's like, and for nines, that's like paramount for a nine. You cannot – like they do not want to be – and and I can tell too, as a six who goes to nine in growth, there are times where I'm like, I just really don't want to get into it. I don't want to pick a side. I can see all sides very easily. Most of the time I can. And especially the more that I do grow, the more open-minded and the more nine-like I become in my thinking. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And I did, I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. So some of the blind spots of the nine are they they can have a hard time taking action. So one of the things that I heard a lot of when I gave this presentation to a bunch of leaders who are leading other people and trying to motivate their teams were nines were hard to get motivated to do things. Yeah. They can have a really difficult time self-starting. They're conflict avoidant, so they don't want to be controversial and they want to avoid discomfort, which is another reason why they have a difficult time self-starting. So they can actually end up avoiding discomfort to the point of apathy, of not caring at all. Interesting. Yeah. So their deadly sin. Here's the other thing that I did not get to get into with these numbers, but I highly suggest that everyone goes and listens or reads the book, The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron. He talks about how each you know, number has a virtue and they have a deadly sin associated. And the deadly sin associated with the nine is sloth. And not because they're lazy, but because they can end up avoiding discomfort to the point of not caring. They can also have difficulty saying no, so they can be over-accommodating and fail to make themselves and their feelings known to others. This can be mistyped as a two as well, because twos end up having difficulty saying no, being over-accommodating and putting themselves last and then becoming resentful about it. Nines are very similar Mm -hmm. in that sense. Nines can also be passive-aggressive when they are – so since they have a hard time being motivated or self-starting – the ones that push them to do so, it can really get under their skin and they can end up being passive aggressive toward those people (laughs) when they are pushed and they're completely unaware of it. Mm. So yeah. So prodding at a nine who doesn't want to get started is not the way to get them started, even though we think that might be the way to get them started. Just so you know. Fascinating. It is. So leading into the last thing here is how to talk to them, how to like work with them, how to lead them. Nines are motivated by a need to keep the peace, merge with others and avoid conflict. So 
do. So establish clear expectations and performance goals with them if you lead them. Encourage them to express their personal opinions and preferences rather than mirroring those of the group. Since they want to avoid conflict, they can kind of go with the flow, but Mm -hmm. encouraging them to actually, you know, it's safe. Tell us your thoughts. Don't force it though. And don't let nine sell themselves short. They have considerable skills, but they undervalue them a lot and they need time to process. So don't ask them to make quick decisions and certainly don't also force them to do things that they're not ready to do. Instead, you want to encourage them. You know that they need harmony. So you probably, if you have a hard time getting nines to start, how is it that they can create a harmonious environment or an environment that is conducive to starting Mm -hmm. instead? I love that. And I would work from that angle instead of forcing them to do something that they don't want to do. It's a great leader tip for anybody. Yeah. Really. (laughs) It really is. It really is. So that is all. That's the Enneagram from one through nine. We've got our our one, our perfectionist, our twos is the helper, three is the competitive achiever, four is our individualist, five, the investigator, or the analyst is another one we call fives, sixes are the loyal skeptics, seven, the enthusiasts, eights, the challenger, and nine is the peacemaker. And we need all nine of these lovely numbers and their strengths. And we learn from their weaknesses. One of the coolest things about this is if you can take the time to know a little bit about each of these numbers in more depth than what I gave you, because this just scratched the surface. It's like not even close to like everything that you can know about everything. It will help you be a better leader. It'll help you be a better boss if you're a boss, better mom, Mm -hmm. a better wife, a better husband, better dad, a better brother, a better human. I love it. One of the gals that we follow on Instagram, she wrote a book and there's a couple books even for coaches who coach around yeah. in creating awareness about people's personalities and how to shift mm-hmm. in times that they need to shift and just bringing it to light. I think it's so fascinating. Well, if you know, for example, especially as a leader, if you have a team at your corporate job or if you are a business owner, it doesn't matter. But if you have threes on your team, for example, and you know that their underlying motivation or fear is failing, you can support them in ways that you probably couldn't otherwise because you didn't understand the underlying motivation, Mm -hmm. the underlying fear or whatever else is going on with them. And knowing that they really want to succeed, you know, and knowing that about them, I think you can go about coaching that person and leading that person in a completely different way. Absolutely. I know. I joke around and this is, I always said to Jake, I was like, man, I thought you were just an a-hole sometimes. And now I just know you're an eight. Like that's just the eight. The eight is the strong, come out of the box, big person. Yeah. And I think that thing too is it normalizes it. It does. You feel like what you were saying about your anxiety. Like, why do I worry? Why do I feel so anxious all the time? Now you know why. And it really normalizes so much. Mm-hmm. We're for ourselves, and then we can just show up with more compassion for others, right? And how they are responding to their environment. Mm-hmm. It's a tool to create more empathy, really, mm-hmm. for yourself and for others. Because when you know and you can accept the worst parts of yourself, and that doesn't mean you accept it and you don't work on it, it just means like you accept it in a sense that you stop fighting it. I think for me, with like what you were saying, 
I fought against that so bad. And I was so ashamed of the fact that I had this anxiety and these worries. And now I I don't have any shame around it anymore because I know that it's just an inherent part of who I am. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was a flaw that I've been carrying around this whole time. Yeah, And I know that each of us with our numbers, we have those pieces of us that we carry around that feel heavy, that feel like they're flawed, that feel like it's not okay to be because we've idealized all these other personality traits that are better. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, there is no better or worse. There's only you. And there's only recognition of the fact that you accept those parts of yourself for what it is. I know for me, I went through a big change recently and like I decided to hire an employee in my business and all this stuff. And it's like the big thing now for me, right? It's all consuming. And I know I had a moment where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. This is crazy. And you're like, okay, but you can. And you did exactly what you should have done for a sex where you're like, remember when you felt like this last year? Remember you overcame and you had the best year, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I forgot. But yes, thank you for reminding me because those are the things that we need to hear in those situations. And I think her knowing a little bit about my number helped her coach me through that situation. But it's just good. It's just good all around when you can empathize for somebody on a level that you probably couldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's a huge, huge opportunity to connect with and help other people grow. Yeah. And especially processing hard things like what you were saying. Like if you have a significant other, for me, it's like, this is just what stands out or kids just giving them space to allow to do so, right? Not making quick decisions if that puts them in more of a stress response, Mm -hmm. you know, and understanding that what might motivate you is some pressure, you know, healthy fire under your ass may not be what your spouse or your kids need. Yeah. So just ways for you to flex. And we talk about flexing all the time in, in my workplace and flexing with different personalities, but having this in-depth insight and view like or, or a description of how everyone is, you know, and how it can shift too. Like it's not concrete. That's like the ultimate means of flexing, mm-hmm. right? And so we're always flexing and the people around us, you know, I hope that they would flex too because as leaders, I know we have to, to ensure that we do what we need to do to get the job done. But Well, and I, I think know. too on that you know, to piggyback off of that point is I think once we know about ourselves and the shadow side of us and the good side of us and that same part of others, we can stop wanting people to be like us and we can just let them be them. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, and it's still hard. It's not to say that you're just because I know Jake's an eight doesn't, you know, I'm glad he's not a six because if we were freaking, if this was a household hold full of six, we probably wouldn't. He pushes me to get out of my comfort zone, right? And supports me when I'm there, when I'm dangling. (laughs) I feel like I'm dangling. So anyway, I encourage you all, if this was interesting to you, learn and you don't know your number yet, go figure out what your number is and learn about the numbers of those that are closest to you that maybe you work with the closest at work, your spouse for sure. We still need to get Kyle to take the test. Yep. So we can only anticipate what And again, we'll link in these show notes yeah. links to the test. There's 
different types of tests. Some are more in depth and the more in depth they are, they come with a different price point. So we will list all those. It ranges from, there's one that's like $16, there's ones that's 60 and there's one that's about $120. And we will also link Ian Morgan Cron's book in case you want to pick that up as well. My goal is to get him on the podcast. Yeah. We we hope to have him here. So awesome. Yes. So let's all collectively put out the good vibes and we can get him on and talking about the Enneagram from his expert perspective. He wrote the book on it. So anyway, if you enjoyed this, share it with others. Come join us in our Facebook group, The Art of Getting Your Shit Together VIP Tribe. And you know what I would love is if you guys all took a screenshot, shared it on your Instagram and told us what your Enneagram number is. Yeah, I love that. Because I want to know more. We always, I always get creepy when people ask to join the Facebook group and I like look at your pictures and I want to know a little bit more about you. And so it's cool. Share with us what your number is. And in the Facebook group too, please share your number. We'll start a conversation over there. Sounds good. And we'll be able to support you all and your numbers and just the way that you need it. So thank you all. We'll see you next week. Talk to you soon. The Art of Getting Your Shit Together is produced and edited by LD Coaching and Blush Cactus Boutique Design Studio. We would love it if you'd head over to iTunes and subscribe, leave us five stars, and write a quick review. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends so that we can continue to grow our tribe. Tag us on Instagram at tagist underscore podcast with your shares, and we'll feature you on our story. Don't forget to grab our free guide, five things you can do right now to get your shit together and start living your best life over at tagus.com slash kick more ass. Remember your life only gets better when you decide to grow and it's never too late to get your shit together.